We don't have to try any harder. We don't need to fight anymore. We don't have to try. Hey, Jacob. Hi, Scott. How are you, brother? Wow, we got through that greeting without just cackling. I know. It was very um, straightforward. It's kind of monotone. Felt sober. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it felt very sober. Adult, yes. sober, all those things. So, so. I want to apologize before you even answer how are you to listeners. I'm dealing with Santa Fe spring allergies right now. And though they're much better than they were, thanks to this tonic that I think is working, I sound really crazy in my ears. So I don't know how I'm sounding to you, to you and I'll probably be sniffling the way, a whole way through. Well, uh, outside of your head, you sound great. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, that's good. Cause in my head, I normally don't <laughs> totally get that. Oh yeah. my God. Well, I, you, I'm well, um, and I'm looking out over, we had a couple of days last week where it was in the seventies. And so we all just went outside and started taking our clothes off, you know, we're in shorts and flip flops mm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, and then it's back to spring in, in Boise. So it's really chilly and cloudy today, which is also great. Um, but I'm wearing my down vest again here because it's actually. I was going to say, yeah, you don't look like you're in the summer. In that no, vest. no, we're right back to. Well, spring here is such a tricky minx. It, she, she does this every year, so we know this. It's like, no, you're going to get a couple of days, and you're going to think, oh, good, and then and then the next week is going to be you're right back to putting clothes on again. Yeah, the same's happening here. I think it's been happening all over the country in a really intense way because everyone I talk to, it's a back and forth. Yeah. Except for the Californians, <laughs> they just get the sunshine and the warm weather. They don't even. We, 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 I think it's Californian privilege. They don't have any idea <laughs> how much privilege totally. they just walk around like, "Oh, what's the matter? Yeah. It's it's always nice." <laughs> California privilege. <laughs> There's a T-shirt. <laughs> I was. Uh, I I'm a native son of California, so in Idaho, I you know generally downplay that a little bit, but <laughs> yeah. So I want to hear, I, I don't know where you want to start, but I do want to hear about what kept us from doing an episode last week, which was you um, doing the breathwork training. It was fantastic. It was, uh, God, I, it's hard to, it's not hard to talk about. I mean, I can talk about it, but it's it's really hard to put clear words on it other than extraordinary and life-changing. And it really was those things. Like I feel incredibly passionate about breath work now. Mm. I've, I was just telling you before we went live, I next week in Santa Fe, I'm going to ha- have my first class and I'm going to start hopefully leading them weekly at this yoga studio here. Okay. And, um, and just take a dive into it. You know, I, Jacob, the places I went, I mean, you and I have both <laughs> experienced this kind of breath work and yeah. I was shown again, it was a seven and a half day workshop. So we gathered for eight days and each of those days we all went through a, a breath work session. It was a healer training. So it was really a, a retreat for people who are interested in integrating breath work into mm. whatever else they're offering in their work. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of focus on how to do that, but each day we were also breathing And man, I don't even, it's, I'll just share one story with you, with y'all, because it was so, it was one of many powerful experiences in this breath work. Um, I, I, I saw dead people. (laughs) I mean, I really truly connected with non-physical people in my life who have passed. And it's Mm. been a prayer of mine for the past few years to, have more of a direct connection with the non-physical with those Mm. who have passed. Mm. And it isn't something I, aside from feeling like I am being supported and -hmm. you and I've talked about guides and we've talked about those energies aside from feeling that that's happening. I've never really had the experience of connecting to it in a direct way. And in three of these sessions, so much of them were, I mean, two of them were very much connecting to my mom whose energy and presence. It's not that I saw her clearly, but I felt her energy clearly. I, I, I felt her 
hands on my shoulders, supporting me through my breath in the most loving presence I could imagine. And then at one point I saw all these friends over the years who've passed away and they were all dancing in a circle around me, celebrating the fact that I was connecting with them and all of them just telling me the veil is so thin. There's really no veil. Like there is no separation. We're always here. We're always available. Um, so that was one of the most, and I had a really deep healing with my father as well. That was profound. Um, that was some of the most, I would say powerful experiences in the sessions I had. And how to experience this because you never know or how to express this rather you never know when you're experiencing something that feels like real healing mm -hmm. how long it will last you know like i've yeah. i've been in plant medicine ceremonies and my life was completely transformed and mm -hmm. the truth is a lot of the information i've received in those did last but mm -hmm. you know months and months pass and you don't necessarily feel as steeped in the the lesson or the healing as you were when you were experiencing it. And so I can't speak honestly to how these experiences in the sessions will play out mm -hmm. in the months ahead. But what, what I can say is that I experienced what felt like profound healings, mm -hmm. certainly in relationship to my father and the wound I've carried around in terms of my relationship with him before he died mm -hmm. and then losing him at a young age. I just, I feel like I'm living in a very different space in relationship with that. Mm. And it, you, it's very, do you mind describing, oh, I, I'm just curious, do you mind describing <laughs> a little bit about that wound? Yeah. I mean, the wound for me was feeling neglected by him and unloved by him and having no relationship with him mm. while he was alive and hating him as a kid because he, he paid me no attention and there was no connection. And then he died when I was 14. So there was yeah. no possibility for that. So mm -hmm. the wound for me has been feeling denied in this lifetime, the experience of having a dad, having a loving dad and having that like longing for the father son relationship mm -hmm. and just having to accept that's not really something that's for me in this mm -hmm. lifetime. I've had other mm -hmm. figures who have played somewhat of father roles, but not really. Yeah. And it's a, there's a mourning for that, you know, that, that I, I long for that still. I'm glad I asked because I'd love to have you tell, if you don't mind, to tell us a little bit more about what you, as you were doing this practice uh, of breath work, like when you felt like you were really connecting with that wound and, and then working through some healings, what, what would you describe about that? Yeah, I, I will tell you. Um, it, my father showed up and he showed up at the base of my feet and he was, smiling and he was again it's not a clear visual mm -hmm. but it's a it's clear enough in the energy he was smiling and he was doing this little dance that almost is what i imagine a jig to be it was this very playful like kind of hopping from one foot to the next mm -hmm. and the communication that came from him that was so beautiful jacob he he essentially said I know that you carry pain around and a wound in terms of our relationship, but I want you to know that the man I am on this side is an entirely healed being. I am not carrying any of my pain that I carried in my human form. I'm not carrying any pain in relation to you. And I want you to understand that if you choose to, you can release all of that story because I am still here and you and I can still be in relationship with each other mm. in a, from a completely different place, from a healed place and a loving place. And it's entirely up to you to let go of that story. And I am here. I will wait for you, whatever you choose. And I love you. And Jacob, I came out of this session. I can't even tell you the 
the power of that experience, really understanding. And I, I, I've started to write about this and, and will continue to, but really understanding without in any way wanting to make general statements about trauma, Mm -hmm. really understanding Mm -hmm. for myself in that moment Mm -hmm. that it was entirely my choice to let go of my connection to my father through the lens of the trauma I experienced around our past connection. And instead to move forward into the very real possibility of connecting with him in the present moment Mm -hmm. through love and not in his physicality, of course, but, and, and it was the gift of that was not only a gift in terms of, how I feel about my dad right now, it was a gift in terms of, it was a deeper level of understanding around my power to release past traumas Mm -hmm. that, that I do not have to stay locked into these stories. And if I choose to, and again, I don't think that these are always choices we can just decide I'm going to release all the trauma of my life and Mm -hmm. be free from it. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, what I came away with, is this understanding that there's way more possibility of doing that than, than I've realized. Yeah. Again, I'm glad I asked. <laughs> um, no, I feel like this makes it very real, Scott, what, what the power of a practice like this can, where it can take us. And it, I'm just reminded as you're talking about that, I'm also very careful and want to be very careful about making general trauma statements. I feel like that is complicated. Uh, complex for almost all of us. And I think, you know, Instagram uh, length uh, solutions are are frequently not not as effective and can leave people feeling shame. But with that caveat, you know, what I hear when I hear you say that it reminds me of Carl Jung saying, most therapy uh, stops at the level of the chin. And I feel like we try so hard I will make a general statement. We try so hard to release old stories and narratives that are rooted in the body. They're rooted in our nervous system and deeper places. And we try so hard, I think, to read the books and meditate over the top of it. And I think those are wonderful things to do. But I love hearing you talk about how you were led into deeper connection and possibility of deeper liberation than probably can happen in the mind, you know? Then certainly can happen in the mind in my experience. Yeah. And it, it was so powerful, Jacob, because the other experience I had throughout the week in terms of breath work and what comes up in the breath and how things are processed in the breath, which would be very different, let's say, than plant medicine. And I know we got a question about plant medicine, so maybe we'll segue into that. Um, it's, you know, as you're breathing and we're only breathing for like 20 to 30 minutes at a Mm -hmm. shot and you're maybe hysterically crying, Mm -hmm. maybe you're screaming, maybe you're laughing, your, your bodies, any, any amount of things can go on because you're very consciously moving the breath and energy through your body. And it's, it, it releases stuff in your body. Mm -hmm. So I would say, out of eight sessions, probably six of them, I was crying and probably four of them sobbing, crying. Mm-hmm. And, and what is so powerful about breath work, at least in my experience with it, is that when you come out of your breath work session, the way the breath processes, whatever it is you've gone through, mm-hmm. it's, it just dissipates. So I have this session where I'm sobbing and connecting with my dad and maybe screaming and whatever. And I come out of it and I'm with it. You know, I'm like, it takes a little bit to come out of it. You don't just like pop up to your feet, (laughs) but it's not like I'm carrying that experience around for days. Mm -hmm. It dissipates. It like Mm -hmm. transmutes into something different. And that for me is one of the things that's so exciting about breath in contrast to say, maybe talk therapy where you're, you're living, you're living it again and again and again. And maybe perhaps it's, and this isn't to, again, this isn't to judge any of it. I think we find whatever works for us and there are all different modalities that work for many of us in different ways. But I just love the way that the breath moves the energy through you and out of you. And yeah, it's, it's very, very powerful. And I, I'm very excited to work with people with this, 
you know, I've been so resistant to one-on-one work for years. Mm-hmm. And, and now I, I also feel after going through this training and really seeing what's possible with breath, I'm very excited to work one-on-one with people now. It completely changed my whole perspective on a lot of things. Well, I love that. And I love that I've had experiences with breath work, much like you described, you've had, you know, you've had this intensive period of time where you're doing it over and over again. And I haven't done that, but I have experienced the ecstatic release, uh, the weeping and laughing and, you know, things in a surprisingly, I guess, looking back at it, maybe for me would be, uh, surprising that it didn't feel there wasn't anything about it that, that was hard. I wasn't, there's certainly nothing contrived. It was whatever was happening in that moment was, was a lot like plant medicine, but, um, you know, I, for years, I kind of resisted breath work, I think. Um, and I remember some friends of mine got way into it and read holotropic mind and, you know, began to understand more of what was going on in the, in the brain and, and body and all that. But I, I can't wait to share you sharing this work with, you know, with my Heal Plus Create members and, and the Institute, because I just, I, I've experienced it and I want to experience more of it. So I'm excited that you're excited. Thank you. Yeah. And this is for those of you listening who are like, what are they even talking about? <laughs> like, what it, You know, just very simply the breath that we use, it's just a pranayama yogic breath and what you will do. And you can do this on your own and you can do it right now if you want, while you're listening to us. Um, just you take it, you take through your mouth, you take a deep breath into your belly and then your chest and exhale. So that's it. And you inhale through your mouth and you exhale through your mouth in through the belly. And it sounds, especially in the beginning, you might want to do it at a pace like this, like, Do that for even 10 minutes. Put on some background music if you want. Close your eyes on your back, not a pillow under your head so you can keep your throat open Mm -hmm. and do it for 10 minutes and just see what happens. And, you know, I've been doing it since since the the session ended. And not every time you're, you're having a breathing session, you're not always talking to dead people and you're not always sobbing. And when you're doing it in a group, there's a lot of energy in the room. So that can, that can contribute to that, that heightened experience. I've done it here and sometimes it's just, okay, it was a breathing thing and I feel some energy moving through my body and it, it almost feels like meditation. It wasn't anything especially profound, but I believe so deeply in bringing our consciousness to our breath that I trust in the same way I trust if I'm meditating, mm-hmm. I trust that something powerful is happening. Mm-hmm. Something, something good is happening. There is energy moving inside. So for so people who want to okay. try this at home, you're saying you, you're breathing in and out through your mouth. You're taking a breath in. And it's the same breath, right? It's so it's belly, like one, it's same two. breath, belly, okay. chest, like belly, upper chest, exhale. Okay. And, and whatever pace is most comfortable, but if you do it, do it a, a little faster than what might feel like a normal breath. Okay. To, ener- to kind of energize the breath and, and just do it for as long as you want. But give it, a, I, I recommend giving it at least 10 minutes and... Mm. You know, you're, there's a decent chance, especially if you do it longer than 10 minutes, that you, you might feel some energy moving through your body that, that feels unfamiliar, like your hands might start tingling, mm. your, your legs might start tingling, parts of you might, you know, and just, just be as, remember that it's just your breath. Mm. You're, there, you're not harming yourself, you're just breathing. And be, I recommend being as open as possible to just feeling whatever you're feeling. Um, and this is a way for you to explore it on your own. I'm really excited about, again, it's, it, this has been around since, I mean, ancient times, right? This is, yes, yeah, seriously. I mean, Jesus. it's the foundation of yoga. I mean, truly. Right. Exactly. I mean, and I love that it doesn't require any special equipment. doesn't require, um, I mean, really just learning. I think to your point earlier about what happens in a group. The first time I experienced this, well, I told you about the Kundalini rising experience. I, I was doing breath work during that. I didn't know that that's what it was, 
but then fast forward all those years and I experienced it in Sedona Mago retreat. Um, Star Wolf was facilitating, I think there were 70 of us there and she was, you know, she knew how to really set and setting music. She had assistants and people, yeah. you know, standing by to hold, you know, to take care of us. Um, but holy shit in a group, you're right. Like something about the combined <laughs> thing is pretty powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the way you can, uh, what I appreciated so much, I, I, I trained with a man named David Elliott, who's based in LA. Um, I appreciated training with him so much for many reasons. One is because it was beautiful to see a teacher with his level of humility and someone who's very renowned in his field mm -hmm. and, and sells out his thing. I mean, they're barely even listed online before they're sold out, you know, and yet he doesn't, he doesn't elevate himself in a really beautiful way. He's, he's very humble and he's, he gives it all over to spirit. Yeah. And, and as he's teaching his students to be healers, there was a heal, like we would get paired up a lot and you're either the healer or the breather during the breathing session. So obviously the breather is the one breathing and the healer, really all you're doing is you're there, you're watching and you're holding space, but you're not inserting your energy into the experience of the person in part because you really want people to understand that it's about what they're doing. It's not how to say this. I think there's, I think there's great value. Like I, there's great value in having someone there as a guide. And it's also completely unnecessary and both things are true. And it's like in the group space, some of what makes it so powerful is when David was lead, like kind of guiding the group healings, he would, he would say, um, now if it feels right, why don't you see if there is a, a a yell in you, if there's something you want to let out. And then you're in a room of people who are, are releasing, mm. which helps you to release even more. So it's those types of things a guide can offer and yeah. maybe certain affirmations that might feel right in the moment for the breather to say, if mm. that's what you're tuning into. But what I love so much about how he teaches is less is more. And it's so easy when you're, you're a healer mm -hmm. to just from an ego perspective of wanting to give the most value, the most bang for the buck. Like what can I do to help them? And what can I say? What's the perfect thing instead of resisting those urges and just trusting in the breath and trusting in spirit yeah. and trusting in what they're creating, you know, so I, it was good I to do. play with those things. No, that's, uh, it's so cool that you got to have that experience with somebody who sounds so, masterful and grounded that's a that's a special yeah. combination yeah yeah well um i wonder if you are open to commenting on chatting about some of the submissions that came in we had some interesting comments yeah how about i'll, I'll read this one yeah and and i'll hand it to you to start how about okay so okay just listen to episode 33, and this is from Elisa. Just listen to episode 33 and 34 and wondering if you both would mind speaking more to plant medicine. I'm wondering how you suspect you would be different had you done all of the amazing work you've done on yourself without any plant medicine. It's a great question. Mm -hmm. the, re the reason I ask is I have been microdosing mushrooms for about nine months with a practitioner and have found it really helpful and seen significant changes. This is after years of therapy and inner work, and I have been considering doing a larger dose plant medicine journey, but have started to feel afraid to do so. In the past, I thought there may be some wisdom in that fear, and now not so sure if it's resistance to change or overall fear. I guess I'm really wondering if I'm limiting my growth by not doing a larger plant medicine journey. Hmm. I'll stop there because that's the question. Well, how about the first question for you, Jacob? How do, you, how do you suspect you would be different had you done all the amazing work you've done on yourself without any plant medicine? It, for me, it's such a chicken and egg thing, Scott. Um, I didn't know that I, was, that I was going to be having a plant medicine journey um, when it first happened back in 2007. So was not, I thought I was going to a meditation retreat. We were going to sit around and, and you know, ohm or whatever. And 
So that for me was one of those near-death experiences, you know, level of thing that changed everything so dramatically internally. It connected me to parts of myself that I didn't know existed, that I wouldn't have even known how to ask for. And it, it created sort of a map, I think, not, not a clear one, but it created this experiential map of, oh, all I know is I have to find some way of aligning my life with, with, with what I just experienced. And it became this sort of a guide over time of, okay, I can feel myself really going back to sleep. I can feel myself really going back into patterns that have always caused me pain and the freedom, the joy, uh, the sense of peace that I experienced at that one big first one. And then, you know, subsequent experiences also, but not, not many, I, it wasn't like something I was doing all the time became this reminder. It's like, Oh, right. I'm, I'm, I'm off track. I'm starting to feel bound up again. So I'm don't know how to answer that except to say, because it came to me so, so suddenly, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how much of what happened since would have been even possible without a very dramatic experience in my case. And, I'm, and I say that carefully because I, I would never tell, I would never say everyone needs to go and have a heroic dose of psilocybin um, or everyone needs to go have a DMT experience. I wouldn't say that. I, and I know this is going to sound mystical and floaty to folks, but I really feel like it found, it found me. Uh, the experience that I needed found me. And I don't know how to explain that. Um, and so I would say if, if it's calling your name, um, outside of just, you know, all these amazing articles and people talking on podcasts and Joe Rogan about this stuff, if it's calling your name and it's not letting you alone, it'll likely come into your experience in some way. I agree fully with that. Absolutely. And I, I it's, it's funny, Jacob, because I know I'm in the throes of breathwork obsession, <laughs> but it has changed a little bit, at mm -hmm. least for now, my perspective on plant medicine. Oh, tell um, me. Yeah. And, and I say this as someone who really loves and believes in ayahuasca and psilocybin, which are the two medicines I've sat with and not, you know, with ayahuasca six times and with psilocybin in a ceremonial way, probably six times. So not mm. a ton of times, but enough to, to feel like those plants for me have served as accelerators, I think, mm -hmm. to some yeah. extent, to what extent I can't say clearly, I can't say with certainty that I wouldn't be where I am if I hadn't sat with ayahuasca. But I feel like certain awarenesses that ayahuasca brought to me so quickly mm -hmm. in the course of one ceremony, yeah. they weren't awarenesses that I was tapping into on my own prior to those ceremonies. Um, but I really agree with... So, so what Breathwork showed me, though, is... We don't need anything outside of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I, I really believe that. And I believed that even before this training, that ayahuasca is not necessary. Psilocybin is not necessary. DMT is not necessary. They're beautiful and powerful tools if you feel resonant with them as tools. So to you, Elisa, I would say... I wouldn't, like Jacob, I would never say to somebody that you absolutely have to do ayahuasca or you absolutely have to do mushrooms. If you feel called to do them and that desire, that calling feels greater than your fear, then for me, that's a nudge in the direction of doing them. If you're in a space right now where, and to be clear, I think that there's always an aspect of fear or nervousness, at least there has been for me going into any plant medicine ceremony. So that's, that is a part of the experience. But what I'm feeling from your your email is that the fear feels larger right now than your desire. And if that's true, I don't, I don't really feel like that's a great way to go into a plant medicine ceremony or really to go into anything mm -hmm. in your life. And it's entirely possible as you stay on your micro dosing of mushrooms, it's entirely possible that that balance will shift. And you'll find that, yeah, you still have fear because this isn't anything you've done before and it's it's big and scary, but your desire has grown to such a point that you're you're really feeling led to a ceremony in a way that you're not feeling right now. 
And if that's the case for you, great. I, I, I recommend following that urge, but don't, I don't believe in any way you're denying yourself something by, and I understand what you're saying that sometimes our fear is limiting us. Um, I don't, I don't believe that's what's happening for you based on your message and the energy I'm getting from it. I feel like you're honoring what's most true for you right now. And especially in the context of these plant medicines, which are very powerful medicines, I think it's very wise to do that. I, I had uh, read through this submission, this note when it came in, Scott, and didn't, didn't um, make all the connections that we just have. But I'm actually really excited to add something to what you just said. Um, I met this um, woman named Casey Garrett, and um, she has um, she she's actually at microdosingforhealing.com, and I'm so excited to be putting together a workshop with her for microdosing 101. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, I'm so excited about it. It's kind of like an introduction to it for people who really haven't experienced it or, or want to know more. Um, and what Elise had just mentioned there about the practice, and this is something Casey and I were ha had this meeting recently, and we just we were just laughing because she's like, most people who came to this kind of when I did or earlier came to it through heroic dosing, like just fucking big blast off in some way or very deep, something very, very altering experiences. And she said that she said that oftentimes comes with more, um, a much more rugged integration than going through the microdosing path can. She said, we, we're giving people these experiences that are way below the level of feeling altered. Most of the time she's like, we're, we're adding it along with daily work with meditation and journaling and things like that, which I'm just sitting there laughing going, yeah, that's, isn't it amazing how those tools keep coming back? She said, unless it becomes a practice, unless it becomes a practice, then, then people tend to seek something that's going to fix them through some ex dramatic experience and exciting experience. Um, and oftentimes it doesn't have the long-term result they're looking for. In addition to that, and I thought this was fascinating, she said, what we find is that many times people who come to it through the micro dosing and are beginning to integrate into their overall healing experience in life, you know, becoming more aware. Yes, they have the benefit of their anxiety begins to begins to lessen. They begin to be more open to the inner wisdom that's leading them forward. She said often they will, and maybe Elisa is here. She said often they will want to have a deeper plant, you know, medicine journey. She said, what I've found so interesting is that people who have been doing it for a few months or a year, oftentimes they need about half or less the dose that people like you and I probably had going into these experiences. Mm -hmm. She said, and they're still having these profound, profound experiences um, with much less required because they've been preparing their mind and body and spirit and all of it for being more open. Um, reminds me just a little bit of what I actually posted just this, just the other day. Cause I, it's, I read it years and years ago and it just keeps resonating so strongly with me. Um, Carolyn Mace, sacred contracts, that book, she says, the soul usually knows what to do to heal itself. The challenge is to silence the mind. You know? Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And to, to add on to what you're, you just said, Jacob, with, with microdosing and Elisa, it sounds like you're having a very positive experience with the microdosing you've been doing. You know, I believe deeply that these, these plants, like all plants, um, have a wild intelligence like they're they are working in your best interest so mm -hmm. if you can trust that if you can trust that what you're experiencing through microdosing with psilocybin that the medicine is has your best interests in mind then you can probably trust that if it is in right design for you to participate in a larger ceremony, that medicine will in part open up something in you that makes you more available to it. Yeah. And maybe it's just not the timing right now. 
Yeah, and I love... You don't have to force it. That's the bottom line. <laughs> exactly. Just there don't, it, don't force it, it. There it is. Don't force yeah. it. And, yeah. And I'll say too, I mean, Scott, like you said it before, even, even moving into a, you know, a deep experience of breath work, any of these things I feel like is... There is part of the rational ego mind uh, that is always afraid of losing control. It's always afraid of relinquishing its prime, its prime, prime, primacy, um, its superior position that we've been keeping it on in our lives. And I say we because I feel like that's the common human experience most of the time. You know, it does not want to be dethroned. Um, mm-hmm. And one, and I just want to say, and I feel like I've said this before, but. Um, I was working with a client recently and they were, you know, we were having a discussion about the ego and I said, just let's be so clear. The ego is not something to be made into an enemy or crushed or dissolved or whatever. Um, If we can love the ego. In fact, Scott, I find as I continue to grow and as I continue to practice, you know, um, I actually find that my ego becomes a joyful partner. Like I, I've come to really love the Jacob who posts like really raw, crazy memes on Facebook and drops the F bomb and stuff. I mean, I just love, it's like, I love that Jacob too. (laughs) It's it's so funny because in the past there was always this push pull tug of war going on. Like, Oh, I shouldn't, I'd feel shame and scared and all this stuff. Eventually it just became this thing of like, okay, if I get out of line there, I'll, I'll know and I'll pull it back a little bit. But in general, it becomes this like, I get to do this dance. And because I'm every day going into space with meditation and different things of, of really surrendering and asking my higher self, if you want to, to be in control of, of this life experience, I find that I have less and less fear. But if you are feeling called across that line into some deeper experiences, I'd be probably just echoing you now, Scott, you can trust that. And how, okay, well, here's a good question, Scott. How, how do you know, how would you suggest we can know the difference between just the ego anxiety of, oh my God, I mean, we're moving into territory I'm not familiar with or comfortable with and the level of fear or anxiety that says, hey, this is a, this is a, this is a stop sign for now. Well, the, my, my gut response to that is it, it, at times it's irrelevant because can you trust that whether you're getting a no from the ego anxiety or a no mm-hmm. from the clearer place, can you just trust that the timing is a no right mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. wherever that's coming from? Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So, like so connecting it back to Elisa, what I was going to say, and you, you, I, I agree with you so much. And I know we've talked about this, like, don't go to war with any part of yourself and certainly not your mind. That is that is the the definition of a losing battle. It's so wholly unnecessary and yeah. futile. Like it don't go to war with your mind. And also don't go to war with your fear. It's yeah. it's your fear in the same way that you were saying your ego is becoming an ally for you or however you said, a playmate or whatever you said. <laughs> it's like <laughs> our our fear is just trying to protect us. Your fear is just trying to protect you when you really understand that, that it just doesn't want you to get hurt. Mm-hmm. It, it also becomes a friend and we can get in different relationship to our fear. And, and that helps me to read its warnings a bit more clearly when I'm not looking at my fear as this, this troll-like enemy mm-hmm. that doesn't have my best interests in mind. But I'm looking at it as someone who does have my best interests in mind and is just shitty at its job a lot of the time. When I can look at it through that lens, I'm able to to decipher a lot of the time a bit more clearly whether this is a rational fear or a wholly irrational fear. Yeah. You know? And I think when we're really honest with ourselves, Jacob, I, I think we often know it's like this terror is my terror of failing or being judged or being misunderstood. And, and when it's tapped into those things, typically that's, that's our fear of our mind. It's not really, you know what I mean? We feel the deeper calling in our hearts to move forward, but those fears are so loud that are saying you're going to fail. You're going to be judged. So I think we know when we're honest with ourselves most of the time to answer your question. 
Do you I agree think, with that or not? Well, I just, I didn't keep saying, uh-huh, 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 because I would be interrupting you the whole time. <laughs> but I'm sitting here nodding my head off like, no, that's, per- that's a perfect way to answer that. And it, and it also, it also returns the, the, the truth of this to back to the inner wisdom that is always there. It's always there. It always wants to help guide you forward. Like, this is not up to what Scott's opinion or my opinion is about it. But so I love how you returned the power to, <laughs> to, in this case, Elisa, but everyone listening. And Scott, I just was remembering back to my first big experience. And I did not know at a rational level what was coming at all. And I remember ahead of that, I started having all of these anxieties and my mind kept bringing up all of these very reasonable objections to going up to this meditation retreat. Oh, you shouldn't take the time off work. Um, The business needs you. Oh, you're going to be away from your kids for that weekend. Oh, it's going to cost some money. All of these things kept coming up. And I was just trying to remember, it's been enough years now. um, Sometimes it's hard for me to fully remember what, kept pulling me forward and there just kept being this yes and this is important there just kept being this yes and um and so it didn't feel like i really like crushed any of those objections it was more of this inner curiosity this desire of of the unknown like okay i don't know what's getting ready to happen at all but i do have this inner Yes, that just keeps saying, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I'll, I trust at least the one guy who invited me to this thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm glad he picked me up in his truck because it, probably I would have turned around at some point. I mean, I, so I, I don't want to downplay the uh, level of my own anxiety about that. And I, and that's again without having any framework for for what was getting ready to happen. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Do you want to jump to another question? Yeah, I think so. And thank you, Elise. I, this, yeah, thank wow. you so much for writing in about that. <laughs> so uh, let's see. I'm going to jump to, I kept, it's just someone saying she was excited about season two and kept checking and checking for this new episodes. And the question is, <laughs> just finished the second episode of the season and you all asked for questions. One, in spiritual circles, I hear quite, oh, this is uh, Theta. In spiritual circles, I hear quite a bit of talk about highest good as being something to be focused on when setting intentions for outcomes. What the heck does that even mean? Like someone, <laughs> if I don't, like somehow if I don't intend an outcome be for my highest good, that I will instead get an outcome that is for average good or EGADs, <laughs> even lowest good. Is this just spiritual gibberish? Would love to hear your take on this. I do have a take on it, but I'd love to hear yours if you do too. Well, first of all, if if you have to ask if it's just spiritual gibberish, probably at least a healthy portion of it is, in my opinion. <laughs> and I'll circle back on that. But but I, let's hear your take, Scott. I definitely have other things to say that aren't quite so snarky. <laughs> well, I love your snark. I um, you know the the main thing I think when I when I'm, it's so funny because a friend recently texted me asking for prayers for the highest possible outcome or best possible outcome. And this is how I interpret it. Oftentimes when we're praying, we are praying through the lens of the ego, which for me looks like, what's an example of a prayer? Let's say, okay, let's say I applied for a job and my prayer is, let me get this job. Let me get this job. I pray that I get this job, right? If, if my prayer is for the highest possible good, instead of a prayer for, I hope I get this job, what I'm saying is, I hope whatever is the outcome, whether I get this job or not, it is serving my highest interest, even if I'm not able to see what those are. Because obviously, if I'm going for a job and I want the job and I don't get it, I'm going to be disappointed. But if I'm trusting that the outcomes that are happening are in my best interest, then I have to trust that my not getting the job is also in my best interest. And for me, that's the distinction. The highest possible good doesn't always look like what we want as our outcome. Yeah, that's uh, so well said. I'm 
thinking back to, and I think maybe I've told this part of the story at one point before, but that, that same shamanic group I was part of all those years ago, they, they had some other um, circles that were using a different medicine. They called it heart medicine. Later, I learned it was mostly MDMA, um, which looking back, Scott, I, maybe I've said this before, but looking back at the various experiences I event, eventually had, you know, kind of in my lap, it's as if a really master psychiatrist and trauma, trauma-informed therapist laid this whole program out for me over the years, um, lear- learning more later about the therapeutic effects of these different experiences yeah. and because they were handled so carefully. Um, but I remember standing up, you know, MDMA is much more of a gentle, like it's definitely not taking over your whole system. So I remember standing up, there was kind of a break and I wandered out to the porch and of uh, the cabin and the shaman guy met, met me out there and we were just kind of standing there being quiet and with mdma it's something you can kind of stand up out of you know and kind of you know you can feel like you're back in your in your senses and all that and i was just looking up at the sky and i could feel this entire web of that was one of the kind of revelations for me during that experience was this web that i had woven in my life that was so full of obligations so full of fear of failure, so feel of fear of failing other people um, to whom I felt indebted, you know, in my life. And, and I just like, uh, I just told him there is no way that I can really get free without fucking up everybody's life around me. I said, how do I, how do I possibly move forward um, without just really destroying people and of course, you know, he didn't say any of this. Later, I learned, no, that, that was that was the story I had woven about how important I was to all these people and how necessary. <laughs> but what I remembered him saying, fucker, was he, he looked up in the sky with this kind of you know, dreamy look. And he's like, well, you should just probably ask spirit that everything works out for the highest and best good of all concerned. And I'm like, that is such bullshit. <laughs> no, I mean, of course I was in medicine course, and it felt good, course. but I'm like, also part of me was like, that's, that helps me not at all. But what was interesting is I began holding that Scott, that what is the highest and best and not what I can figure out or how it should work out. And I began to realize how wound up I was about controlling other people's experience and making sure that they thought, well of me that th- they thought I was doing the right sure. kind of job with them, all of those things. And as I began to slowly release my control of that and go, I, I really cannot see ahead how to unwind this intricate lacing of this web that I've woven what I can do is take each little step forward with as much honesty as I can and as much love as I can, just little tiny steps, not the whole big, Oh, I need to get liberated from this entire mess of a life I've created just this one step forward. I know I can do that one thing and make sure it's as honest as I, as it can possibly be and with as much love for myself and the other people as it can be. And that did not mean that every step felt good or, or was elegant or anything, but that began to prove to me, that moving with that deep intention, there was a higher level of wisdom that began to kick in and it began to, it began to change. It began to transform those obligations and those relationships in ways that I couldn't have figured out how to do on my own. That was beautifully put. And I'm so glad you spoke to honesty and love because I really believe that when we're operating from those energies we are the the only possibility is that we're serving the highest possible good because that is what love does always now sometimes we we like to tell ourselves we're coming from those energies and we're not really but if we we genuinely are operating from a place of love and honesty and in those places are aligned with spirit are aligned with source there's no other possibility than serving the highest possible good. So you can trust that. And it's not always going to look pretty 
You know, if you're ending a relationship with someone you really love, but you know you need to get out of that relationship and you also know that it's going to break the other person's heart, that is not for them going to look like the highest possible good by you walking away from that relationship. But when you can take a more more of a panoramic view and understand that for anyone to be in a relationship with someone who does not want to be in relationship with them is not the highest possible good. Of course, it's serving them for the person to break up with them, even if it's painful, even if it's excruciating, right? I think sometimes, Jacob, we, we, our minds want to, to confuse, wait, do I want to use the word conflate or am I going to use the opposite of that? <laughs> Let me reframe it. Our minds want to assume that highest possible good means that it's a choice that feels good for all involved. And that is not the truth all the time. I couldn't agree more with that. And you said something earlier that I wanted to come back to also. Um, that I like when you're snarky. <laughs> of course i always want to hear yeah. that <laughs> no i just you know we we've woven so much today already uh you know and using terms like spirit and um source and all of these things i mean i'm completely genuine in those things and i i just want to say too that stepping stepping through these things there's there's this sense of if I let go just a little bit more, just a little bit more and trust in this moment. And I feel like that is such, I'm, I think most humans are, but so wired to want to like run six or seven steps down the path and make sure it's all going to work out for everyone and work out. You know I mean? I'm definitely, I'm definitely wired to be one of those people who I would generally, and this always seemed so selfless to me <laughs> And later was revealed to be so selfish as part of my survival and coping strategy about life. The story was, I'm so selfless. I would always do what's better for other people and, mm -hmm. and suffer uh, or, or experience mm -hmm. lack on my side. The truth is, yes, there is a light side to that. But man, the shadow side of that is so fucking controlling. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I feel it's like such it was... a, that's such great awareness though to have it's such great awareness because one it's awareness of how you're showing up almost in complete contradiction to how you're telling yourself you're showing up. So it's getting really honest with what your motivations are behind this. Mm -hmm. Like I'm taking care of everyone all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the gift of that, the gift of, of, coming to terms with that shadow aspect and really just being honest with yourself and feeling the pain of that honesty. The gift is that you're free from having to do it anymore. You're free from having to operate in that inauthentic place and mm -hmm. you set everyone free who's been in some way controlled by that inauthentic place. Yeah. Thank I, you for bringing I, that up. Well, and the idea that we can make decisions for other people that will result in their highest good. Holy shit. Yeah, what arrogance. It's so control yeah. It's insane. Yes. Yes. And I think that probably every parent on the planet knows that story yeah. because all parents are wanting to make the decisions for their kids or most parents are because they believe they know what's best for their children. Yeah. Right. So that's I, oh my God. I had the, I had the tremendous gift, very painful gift um, when my kids were just coming into their coming of age times and early teen years of, of being demolished. And so I didn't feel like I had any sense of really how to take, continue the usual patriarchal, like the father is really taking care of you. And that was painful for me, Scott. And I remembered at the time really refining my values there and saying, okay, so what would success look like from this place of really feeling at sea and feeling very incapable of giving them even what I would consider to be just solid, you know, guidance as a parent. And it became this, um, I got to actually grow back up with my kids. And so that meant that I got to be curious with them 
rather than hold in place all of this framework that I'd been given, you know, and the control stuff that was part of my, you know, and part of most of our lives, you know, as kids. And I remembered setting up the new definition of success was if I can, if I can support them in becoming self-directed humans as quickly as possible, that's going to mean that I have to take my hands off a lot more of the time than is going to feel comfortable. Um, and it felt like a terrifying, very likely to be a complete failure experiment most of the time. And that went down to things like, what if, what if, if they say they're not hungry at dinner time, I don't force them to eat stuff like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And later on, what if, what if they start dating earlier than, you know, than I did certainly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but what if what if I let them actually experience what I would consider to be back then failure or pain with support, with care around them and knowing that they could always come to me? And what's been surprising to me is to watch my kids and and me and I move out of that into a stage of, yeah, there were some really fucked up experiences during those those years um, for all of us. But what I watched that my twins will be 21 at the end of May. Nathan just turned 25. He just got engaged. Um, and I was just journaling yesterday and just said, I just need to take a moment and look back two years and say a, a huge thank you. Such a sense of gratitude that what would have been almost impossible to imagine has happened. And these kids are young adults now and they are actually engaged with their life and they are moving forward and they're strong and they're financially independent of me and it's just astonishing i cannot believe that worked out that way and of course it continues to be you know an ongoing thing but it's i just am just I, I guess telling some of those personal stories i would like to say i now have more and more evidence actual experiential evidence that it, it actually works I love that. And where, where would you say you are now in terms of your, like on a scale from one to 10 with one being hands off, not control, not a controlling father at all. And 10 being like helicopter parent. Where are you in that spectrum? Well, I have the, <laughs> I have the empty nesters privilege. Jay's moving out likely at the end of this month. Um, no. So I, I am at a place where they are actually, you know, in flight now. And so it's so much easier. Like, you know, if I go back a year, I would have had to say, I'm still probably about a three or four right now. I feel like I'm at a one, um, which is even a three or four is great. Was I can't even. A, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't have even had the goal. I'm just surprised at how, and, and partly this is such a daily practice, Scott, the practice yeah. of surrender, even for a moment, not surrendering for the, of course, I don't want them to, end up in a bad marriage or something, sure. of course, but right this minute, right this minute, I can surrender any of my opinions about what they should or shouldn't be doing. And I can go and look, look how we are all safe and okay. Right this moment, right now, right now. Yeah. And it's wild, Jacob, because hearing you talk about it, it's like so much of what is counterintuitive to our mind is deeply understood by the instincts of our heart. And if we can just get in the habit of looking at what we feel compelled to do and how much of that compulsion is rooted in the ego and rooted in the mind's need to control, mm -hmm. we're, we're that much more likely, hopefully, to make a different choice and to yeah. trust that keep going to the heart, keep going to the heart, keep going to the intelligence that lives in that space instead There's of the fear so in the mind. There's so much intelligence there. And I've, yeah. I've loved my brother, Nate is, uh, you know, very engineer minded and, you know, coding and things like that. And, and in that world, they use counterintuitive quite a bit, um, which simply means it's, this, this is a natural thing you'd want to do. And, and you're being asked to do this. And I've, one time he and I had this really cool discussion that was less about technology and more about life. And I said, Nate, what I'd like to suggest we think about is what if most of what we call counterintuitive is actually counter conditioning? Totally. 
app hundred percent because it isn't counterintuitive. It's counter the ego, counter yeah, you're right, counter conditioning. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like no, we when the cement was wet at some point when we were still forming our beliefs about life, mm-hmm. we were taught this is the way to do it. The cement <clears throat> began to harden around those beliefs. And not all of them are bad or anything. It's just that's how it happens. So we go, okay, now this is the natural way. It feels natural because we've done it repetitively. Exactly. Right? We're so we're living it, 95% of our lives counterintuitively. Exactly. <laughs> because, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. And, and, beca- and because we're so used to it, actually living in the flow of our intuition with the inner guidance feels so awkward and scary. It's not yes. counterintuitive. <laughs> exactly. I love that distinction. Yeah. Well, I, I, I like playing with it because it helps become this reminder for me when I'm, you know, in the middle of something that feels awkward. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Is this actually, is the awkwardness coming from, or the fear or whatever, is it coming from, oh, that's a warning sign or is it coming from, no, it's a warning sign from how I was, you know, formed. Yeah. And this is the, for me, this is the type of exploration that, that creates profound shifts in our lives. And I often refer to it as the work, the spiritual work, but like refer to it as the play. Like it can, it can be playful if you're looking Mm -hmm. at your choices and exploring where it is actually coming from. Is Mm -hmm. it coming from your intuition or your conditioning? And the more adept you become at honoring what's coming from your intuition and, and challenging, not from a warlike place, but Mm -hmm. from a, intuitive place, what's coming from your mind and conditioning, the freer you become, the freer we all become. That was elegantly stated. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I, I wanted if, to just, yeah. oh, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, you, you jump in. I, I just want to make sure we, sh- we shout out to a couple of these others who sent notes in, but felt like where we went today right here was. Yeah, it was really me- good. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. And I, I just, because there was more to Theta's message that just quickly, I want to get to at least to just acknowledge it. Yeah. Um, because I don't feel like I can say too much about it, but her, her other question was, I would be interested in hearing more about how ableism and healthism is a huge part of wellness culture and the spiritual world slash spiritual spaces. Mm. Um, and then she recommends a guest that we could have on. Mm. Uh, but to that, I would say it is an aspect of everything. You know, if if um, I can't speak to it from my perspective intelligently because I'm not living um, as a differently abled person and in, in living in that context, and I'm not confronted by all of the different um, effects of that. But what, what I would recommend people do if you feel a call to do this, it's been incredibly helpful for me. And one of the great gifts of social media was finding different people to follow who are experiencing um, things that we can't relate to. Mm-hmm. So f- across the board, finding mm-hmm. different, you know, people of different races, people of different religions, people who are differently abled and just observing and listening to the experiences they're having as they're going through life. Um, she, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I absolutely would love, and Jacob, you and I need to talk about this more, um, mm-hmm. getting guests on here and yeah. certainly getting guests with, uh, different perspectives who can broaden what it is we're talking about. Yeah. And if I can just say to Scott, and I'm careful not to be dogmatic about this, cause I know there are people with tremendous value, in, in general, for me, when it comes to these types of questions, whether it's um, racial questions or any of these other things you mentioned, ableism, healthism, um, I want, and I'll speak very much for myself, I want to listen to people who personally have that experience. I don't want to hear people talking about it right? because there's so much prissiness in the world right now. People trying to fight against healthism and ableism and racism. I'm like, I want to hear, I want to hear from the people who have and are living through that experience. Cause that they can tell me truth, you know, a hundred percent. And she said, she goes on to say, I'd recommend you seek someone out to be on your show who has lived the lived experience in this area is there generally is. when exploring a topic, it is best to hear from someone in the community yeah. question. Absolutely. I want so to hear thank the visceral, like this is coming from things I've personally done not because god knows we don't need more theories and concepts thrown at us absolutely yeah (laughs) Uh, i think this is a good time to to wind wind down 
Yeah, I just wanted to acknowledge a couple. Um, Chris yeah, Ann and and Chris Ann, you said so many wonderful things. Thank you so much. We're so glad you're here. And hugs Belinda, to you, Chris Ann. <laughs> yeah, big hugs. <laughs> uh, Belinda, um, you. It's so interesting how we we started with the one you felt intuitively called to Scott, and I feel like we've answered or at least talked about some of these other um, submissions that have come in. So Belinda, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for sending us a note. And I want to invite everyone. I don't know about you, Scott. I'm feeling like a completely renewed energy in this show with you. Me too. Yeah. Like I'm really feeling it today Mm -hmm. too. Yeah, absolutely. That's probably because you got all your chakras just fucking lit up. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I'm breathing the hell out of my chakras. Right. Well, but also um, I just want to say that to me, it's been slow to develop where, you know, it's most of the time we get submissions and people are congratulating or or kind. And I love that, of course. Um, And I love that some real questions have begun coming in that we can then begin talking about. Cause to me, it, feel, it makes me feel like we're really connected to people who are listening yeah. and we're able to talk about it. And I would say post follow-up questions. Yeah. So just go to, Hey, Jacob, There's a um, message form that you can use and we'll, we'll continue to review those and talk about them. Yes. And also, and I know you hear this on every podcast and it just becomes <laughs> white noise, but it really is helpful for us if you rate our show and mm. review the show. Um, we don't have a lot of ratings on there and we, we, we get a lot more love than we do ratings. So I'm mm-hmm. going to encourage you all <laughs> to even just pause right now or we're ending the show anyway right now and just head yeah. over to Apple Podcasts or wherever and just leave a, a rating and ideally a review as well. Um, it help and spread the word. If you're enjoying yeah. this, um, yeah. share this episode with somebody, share the show. Scott, if I could do a, a shameless plug real quick. Yes, please. This one's an easy one because it's almost free. Um, Amazon chose to put my book, The Creative Cure, back on sale for Kindle at just 99 cents. And last year when they did that, I, I don't, I can't remember the exact number, but it was thousands and thousands of people were able to get it when it was so inexpensive. Right now, I think it's in the U.S. and Canada. But just want you to know if if, uh, if you haven't read it or if you want to tell friends about it, I don't know how long it will last that way because I did not have any control over this. Amazon did it on their end. But um, I've been really excited that it was back down in such an affordable range for folks. That yeah. is amazing. One dollar. Yeah. For the create, not even one dollar. Not, <laughs> e- not even a whole cure. dollar. Yeah, and I can yeah. attest to the power of his book. It's it's really really beautiful. Thank Jacob you. Jacob is a great hand holder uh, and guide to walk you not not only into your creativity but to really root you in appreciation for what creativity brings into your life. Mm. So the creative cure for me from beginning to end is that. Cool, Thank brother. You. All right. Well, let's uh, let's send each other a big hug and everyone who's listening. And also, um, just to tease, we are absolutely going to be having some offerings with you with Breathwork to offer people from around the world. It doesn't you don't have to be in in a place. Uh, you can yeah you know, online. Yeah. Uh, hell yeah! I cannot wait. And I think you said All you were right. going to do some sessions with me on my own. So. Um, that- <laughs> Yes. Selfishly, I'm super stoked about that. So I can't. I, I want to do it with everybody. <laughs> I just want to breathe with everybody. <laughs> you know what, what I care str- about? What a strange thing, Scott. You're trying to lead us into breathing. I know breathing. I know. Fucking weirdo. All right. All right. Love you all. Thanks for listening. Love you, brother. It's up to you to choose how good it can get, how much love you can let into your life, into your heart, before your mind decides it's too much. It's up to you to choose. It's up to you to choose.